plenty of time. Yeah. Plenty of time. All right. Well, welcome to episode 242, titled Pathetic Palace, because I just wanted to rub it in as much as possible. Uh, Adam will not be with us today. Robin will be at some point as yet unconfirmed. Uh, he said two minutes, six minutes ago. So when we see him, we should see him. Uh, for now, <laughs> yeah, for now, it is uh, myself and Craig. Craig, how are you? What yeah, are very very good thank you yeah it's a uh, topsy to everyone but um yeah just wish i was at the game like yourself yesterday how are you yeah very very well thank you uh it was a long old trip it always is but uh like i was saying to you before we started recording it's been a long time since i've been just because we just haven't been playing at home much lately uh spurs and wolves are games that i could not get to uh and in between that, it's just been away game after away game, hasn't it? So it's been nice to go back, even nicer to go back against the Palace and even nicer to dick them 4-1. Um, Robin, welcome, welcome. We went live about 60 seconds ago, so you've missed nothing at all. How are you? Yeah, all good. I enjoyed yesterday. It's annoying that it's the first Palace home game I've missed probably ever since I started watching and I inevitably missed the biggest win since the 1950s. So that's, you know... That's just how it goes. <laughs> so that just means you can never attend again. So congratulations on excluding yourself from a great game. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, let's let's get started uh, at the very top of the week. We'll be short and sweet here. Um, I think I can cover this for everybody, fellas, so don't worry about this. Um, so Brighton and Nova Albion played away to Luton Town uh, on Tuesday, the 30th of January. The kickoff was 745 Uh we had uh, Elijah Adebayo, uh, Ogbené Adebayo, and Adebayo again scoring his hat trick uh, to win 4 0. Uh, the team lineup was Steele, Van Heck, Dunk, Igor, Milner, Gross, Gilmore, Estepinion, Pedro, Bonanote, and Welbeck. And uh, that's the end of the review. Are we good with that? Yeah, I think nothing else. <laughs> I mean, you've, you've covered it off faster. Then it, you know, it's it's sort of nearly the same amount of time it took for us to be two 0 down. So not quite good. Essentially, yes. Uh, I, I I literally have nothing else to offer for this game. The negativity that that game spawned when four or five days later we should be riding on such a high. I don't want to spend too much time on it. Can I so add one? Can I add one anything? Random, anything random you want to add, you can. Um, what I know, so I wasn't there. Um, but what I gathered from watching it on the stream and people that have been there is the vast, vast, vast majority of Albion fans were still there at the end is what I'm gathering. Right. Even though we've been battered four nil one, you contrast that to yesterday when Crystal Palace is, you know, basically had a fire drill after about 33 minutes, but park that for one. But I saw it mentioned by three different people in the week, Buonanotte, Dunk and Deserby all reference the fact that the majority of fans were still there at the end. And Buonanotte particularly said, basically, we've been to grounds or we've had teams come to us where we've beaten them 4-0 and their fans have gone. So it's a, it's a, what I'm getting at is it's, there's a bit of an assist for yesterday for the fans who went to Luton because it made an impression on Deserby and it made an impression on Dunk and it made an impression on Buonanotte and... Dunk again referenced yesterday that the team talk in the dressing room was basically before the game yesterday, we owe the fans for Tuesday night. 
So I'm tipping my cap, basically, to everybody who went to Luton and stayed to the end, because I think, like Deserby basically said, the win yesterday started at the final whistle on Tuesday night. So everyone that went and stayed to the end, give yourself a round of applause because you had an assist partially for what happened yesterday. So that's my positivity from it. It was a proper for the fans team speech from Football Manager. But it was interesting that, you know, like it was just the fact that it was mentioned three, you know, in three very separate interviews at three different times by three different individuals mentioned the same point. And it just struck me. Craig, anything else to add? No, you you did the review pretty well. I think, yeah, you you try and find the positives where you can, right? I mean, Twitter had a full on like meltdown apart like aside from this but you know it, it was one of those days right so um, and also Luton played very well like right like and they've yeah. given Newcastle a proper you know scored four at St James's Park yesterday they were just no, they were very no means beat. there's not many away teams that go to St James's Park and score four um yeah. so yeah t- also tipping the cap to Luton yeah. yeah, it was. They were a team we talked about around Christmas, I think, because they started picking up results around Christmas. And I think we all talked about Rob Edwards being like a bit of an underrated manager, really. Like everyone's talking about Wilder coming back in and like Cooper leaving, obviously. But Rob Edwards has quietly gone about his business at Luton, and they haven't signed a lot of players as if they're Premier League footballers, right? Like they've quite clearly been preparing to be a top Championship team for the foreseeable with the signings they've made. Uh, and yet Rob Edwards has turned them into an absolutely class outfit, really. Like, it's took him a while to get adjusted. And I think that happens with a lot of teams. And that's why you see these relegation battles get so intense towards the end of the season. Teams you've written off all of a sudden that have never had this experience before start understanding the vibes of things. And Rob Edwards in particular seems to be because, as you say, like eight goals in two games, one of the, four of them at home to us and then four of them away at St. James's Park is... Like, it's not an easy thing to do. And a lot of these players are players they were promoted with. So, obviously, the performance from us was absolutely disastrous on that Tuesday night. But nothing should be done. It was, it was one of those cases where, similar to the one that we'll be talking about at length here shortly, is where you can both tip your cap to the opposition team for playing blindingly well, uh, but also accept that Albion were actually really poor and it was almost the perfect storm. Simultaneously, this weekend, we had a bounce-back situation where the Albion were phenomenal, uh, while Palace were simultaneously hilariously bad. Um, and I think that really is just uh, just a, the epitome of Palace right now throughout their entire organisation, which just makes it all the sweeter. Um, let's talk transfer window, though, before we get to Palace. Obviously, uh, we signed a couple of young players for the future um, on deadline day, quite quietly off the side. Uh, Maybe we will see them in the coming years. Maybe we won't. Who knows? Uh, They're always hit and miss. But obviously, Valentin Barco is the main man that we've we've made the signing of in this January transfer window. Uh, Deserby, though, not happy, very clearly not happy. uh, In his press conference, saying that the club decided to go in a different direction. Uh, from him and his wants. Uh, we talked about it last week as to whether we thought the Zerbi would be here at the end of the season, and the general consensus was probably yes, um, or the start of next season, rather. How, how's our Zerbi staying mojo now after both 
the transfer window reaction and then yesterday's reaction from the players themselves and knowing how much he values that? Uh, I am really torn on it because I think nothing has really changed in my mind in terms of the likelihood of him getting the jobs that are probably going to be coming up, right? I think nothing has changed in the last week regards to that. I've seen a few more concrete names linked with Barcelona who are not deserving. So I don't think that's changed necessarily. The big question which is going to be answered is a few times he said that him and the club need to have the same goals, right? I think he's said that in a few different ways. So I think there's going to be a big question in the summer as to where is the ambition of Brighton and Albion compared to where De Zerbi wants it to be? And he's not the first manager who's been there. I mean, we had, you know, the early days of Graham Potter, we kind of had the veiled, basically, we need a striker. You know, I'm happy to work. You know, he always came out and said, I'm happy to work with what I've got. But you could tell that he wasn't happy to work with what he got. He wanted a striker. So we've been here before. Um, But I think it's going to be, there's just going to be a conversation to be had. And I think it's going to come down to as simple as does Deserby like the answer that he gets. I think it's going to be as simple as that. I mean, we know, despite what we all want, we know that Tony does not like doing much first team business in the January transfer window. If you look back at the last, I saw someone on social media, like you look at the last ones, the last few January windows, it has very much been buying talent for the future. I think Caicedo came in in a January window. McAllister was signed in a January window. Barco has been having signed in a January window. So I did hope that this might be the one window where given that we didn't have a stellar summer window uh, in certain positions that they might go out and, and do something, particularly losing to Hood. Um, and, you know, there was rumours around that Moda had turned the ch- turned down the chance to go to Everton on loan, which would have been a really bizarre one. So, yeah, I thought we might get someone in, and Deserby clearly did as well. So, in a long-winded way, it hasn't really changed to a great degree, but I think there is going to be a big conversation to happen at the end of the season. And it very much depends on, does Tony want to take a stance where he is going to try and push us on consistently to the next level? Or is he going to be very much, okay, I'm trusting the process to deliver the same thing again, if even if Deserby goes? So I don't know. Like, I'm really torn on it. I think, I don't think there'll necessarily be any more jobs for him to necessarily walk into, but whether he fancies another crack at doing something with us with you know, potentially not a massive checkbook in his pocket. I'm not sure. Well, we, we know this is, we know the Zerbi's short-term frustrations. He, I feel like he constantly has them, right? He's this hyper-ambitious manager that that wants absolutely everything and wants the best. Um, half of me, and again, I, I'm sitting on the fence as well, but like half of me thinks the Zerbi knew what he was signing up to, right? The, you, you, you're referencing the January transfer window where we didn't do anything for like six years. You bring in one person every January transfer window. Like that's just the norm. And we kind of, we un- we acknowledge it. I don't, I don't think we necessarily understand it, but there you go. You also compare that effect with this year is that absolutely no one has brought anyone in for January just because of all of this profit and sustainability stuff. Everyone's absolutely shit scared. So um, in, in general, nobody really bought anyone. You just saw Adam Wharton go to Crystal Palace. They're the highest spenders in January. That's ridiculous. 
um, judging by yesterday's performance as well. So, um, so you know, he's obviously going to be frustrated when he doesn't get what he wants, but also half of me says, well, you, you kind of knew that though. Um, and, you know, as the head coach, you've already said that you don't have <laughs> a bunch of an input into the signings. So, um, you know, if that's not your wheelhouse, then then obviously, yeah, you can be frustrated by it, but he obviously doesn't control it. So, uh, you know, you have a result like yesterday and you completely switch your mindset, right? It just shows you how fickle a couple of results can make. And suddenly we're all going, oh, we just absolutely smashed Palace. Like, we know we need a defensive mid, but we've got all of these players coming back. Um, so maybe it's an options thing. Um, I do still think he'll be with us at the end, well, at the start of next season. Um, I don't necessarily think he's ready to step up into that elite category just yet, but he's got loads of time. Um, if we finish top half this year, I could see him continuing with us in the start of next year. If he really pushes on from there, then we probably have an issue. I think at bare minimum, like, I think Xavi Alonso is definitely going to Liverpool still. I'm absolutely convinced of that. Even though Bayer Leverkusen are still just absolutely smashing it week on week, I still think he's going to go. So really, it's only Barcelona and any other shock sackings that take place between now and then <coughs> Chelsea uh, that take place after them getting absolutely battered at home, uh, off, scoring four away. Wolverhampton Wanderers, well done, fellas. They were really, um, they were really good. <laughs> I, I, I watched it. That Wolves team is like, you got Wolves, Bournemouth, Luton, all doing actually quite well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not going to be easy down there. Um, it makes our draw even better really at home because they've, they were, it's really, they were picking up form before they played us and we, we nullified them to a clean sheet, which clearly never happens at the Albion. And then they've got on and won a couple of games since and, really well so I think looking back at the end of the season we'll look at that and think that was a decent point to be fair they've, they've really picked up um, so let's talk uh, the rest of the podcast about the best part of the week by far uh, Brighton against Crystal Palace uh, always um, a dramatic situation to have to come into uh, we saw plenty of videos on social media yesterday of adult men taking things way too far uh, and ended up going to sleep um, in uh, on the concrete, which is really quite pathetic in 2024. Uh, we were talking, Craig and I, before we went live, that it's just baffling that these are grown-ass men getting into fights over football, but here we are. Um, we did have uh, quite a decent lineup, though, in the end. Uh, I think most people were hoping not to see a back three, um, but it turns out that what we were missing was a fullback or a winger in any way, shape, weight, shape, or form with genuine pace. Uh, and with that, with that came the forty-third coming of Tarek Lamptey. I think at this point, <laughs> uh, he just keeps coming back before he gets inevitably hurt again. Uh, but the Bruggenin goal, uh, a back three of Igor, Dunk, and Van Heck, uh, Lamptey out on the left-hand side as a wingback, uh, Hinshelwood on the right-hand side, Gross and Gilmore, Marshall in the midfield. And a front three of Ferguson, Pedro, and Buonanotte. Uh, when you saw that lineup um, and just the general team sheets, were you more confident because of the strength of our lineup? Or, honest moment, were you more confident because there was no easier Elise in there starting 11? Oh, I mean, Jao Pedro being fit was massive. Um, I did worry where we were going to get the attacking impetus from if we didn't have him fit. So that was massive. Lamptey back as well was also massive, hoping that we'd get the Lamptey that lasts more than about seven seconds without pinging his hamstring, which thankfully we did. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, they are, without Elise and Eze, they are a top half championship squad. Like, let's be honest. Like, I said after that, you know, December game, that, you know, essentially without those two, they're wasting everyone's time in the Premier League. And, you know, yesterday they illustrated that again. They are absolutely wasting everyone's time attempting to do anything with Will Hughes still meandering around the midfield, doing the square root of fuck all, to be honest. So, no, I think it was more their, it was more their lineup that I just thought. But then there's that na- there's that nagging thing where you go, if we manage to cock this up against that lineup, then <laughs> the the meltdown would have been something supreme. That's where I was too. I was like, only Brighton would be able to really mess this up. And and again, you you have the lingering thought of Luton in your mind as well. Like just sort of pre-game, you're like, right, okay. We, we know that we can bounce back, but this is Palace. This is slightly different. Um, and sort of the rule book goes out the window, but apparently not. Anyway, uh, lineup was okay, right? I think Lamptey on the left is relatively new. We've seen it a couple of times, but again, just the general hesitancy towards his injury proneness is always there. Um, but he was fantastic. We'll get onto it. Um, and, and otherwise, yeah, just the Jao Pedro thing has to start, right? And I think we, we say this week in, week out, has to start. Um, just gives us something else. And I think with Ferguson not necessarily firing on all cylinders still um, and, and sort of maybe an apprehension there, um, he's just so key going forwards. Anything attacking has to go through Pedro at the moment um, until we get our wingers back. And having Ansu Fati on the bench as well is huge, right? I, I, I don't think I've been so excited to have someone back really um to see just provide something special so yeah i think good squad good team for bruggen and goal as well um again continuing that rotation which is uh, we talked at half to death um but yeah i thought i thought it was good the palace team was abject and it was like okay how how do we how do we start on the right foot uh and the answer to that was uh immediately go at them very quickly uh, and we did and we we saw the benefits of a player with the pace of Tariq Lamptey within about 90 seconds uh, because a pretty solid cutting ball I think it was from Van Heck across the pitch to Lamptey just split them apart and he immediately got a corner uh, he gave shades of Mitoma with the way he cut into that box very quickly um, and I thought the cutback was coming but it was Really well blocked, to be fair. Palace were very awake early days um, to the to the threat, uh, just not to set pieces um, because the absolute monumental achievement it is to concede to Brighton and Albion directly from a corner is something really quite magical. Um, but that's what they did within about 120 seconds-ish. Um, the ball comes in. Uh, really, again, a decent ball is exactly where you want that ball to be. And nine times out of ten, Pascal Gross is going to deliver that uh, at any set piece, which makes it even crazy that we don't score more of them. Um, and the new corner routine that I've never seen from the Albion before, the four men lined up as if they're squeezing onto a bus uh, routine before they all split into different areas of the box um, was something that they did all day yesterday. And it seems to have been a totally rev- like revolutionised set pieces because we looked dangerous from all of them. Um, but of course, it was the man himself, uh, Mr. Captain Fantastic, uh, bashing that ball home with an absolute like piece of piss header, just zero marking at all. Um, and I think that set the tone, fellas, didn't it? Like from literally from the third minute in, really, the tone was set and... 
it was set by Lewis Dunk, absolutely loving life in front of the Palace faithful that had travelled down. Yeah. I mean, their game plan was clearly going to be try and frustrate us for as long as possible and then hit us on the counter-attack. Like, that was probably all they've got. Um, so, yeah, to see that fall apart um, after about two minutes is very pleasing. I mean, it's one of the, it is one of the worst defended corners I think I've ever seen uh, basically any level of football because the Colt, I'm not sure what the keeper does because it's clearly, he could have come and got it. It's not a million miles away from Henderson. He comes and gets that. No one decides to mark Dunk and seemingly no Palace player decides to be anywhere near about half of the goal. Like, I, I, I cannot get my head around what they were trying to achieve with it, but, you know, who cares? It's just dreadful. Yeah. I mean, Lewis Dunk scoring against Palace in front of the Palace fans at the Am- I mean, that's like, it's just number one on the bingo card, isn't it? Like, ticked off straight away. Yeah, okay, he just knows, he knows, he knows what it is, doesn't he? And I think that's, that's what you got with Zaha when he was there too. Like, he sort of, he just understood it. And I think there's a, as a general feeling that he sort of he knew what it meant and there was a very I mean the point you know they've been yeah. they've been singing not particularly nice things about him for you know oh, a decade. Sure. oh um, yeah so I think it's I think it's his first goal against Palace I think someone will correct me if it's not but I think it is so he's had a 10 years worth of you know he's had 10 years worth of frustration bottled up in games where also you know we tend to you know it tends to be frustrating games against them by and large so um, you know, it's a dream. You know, it's a dream start all round from basically every, you know, every conceivable angle. And the fact that it illustrated that Palace is, you know, what they've what they've had to have, and what they have generally had under Hodgson until quite recently is a pretty solid defence. They've had to because the only way they get anything out of games is staying in games long enough to be able to wait for Elise or Eze to do something at the other end. So within 90 seconds, basically, to go, okay, you've got nothing in attack today and seemingly none of your defenders actually know how to defend. Um, that basically, you know, it torpedoes them totally within 90 seconds. They've got nothing there. The players are arguing after 90 seconds. It's not like, you know, normally you can see an early goal, everyone sort of Jesus it up and goes... Right, you know, let we go again. They're basically like ninety seconds in, their recriminations have already begun. Yeah, it was wonderful. Um, it was and wonderful. I think from from then on, like I, I mean, from then on, we dominated the ball between the goals. Seventy uh, percent possession, ninety three percent pass success rate. So their press was essentially non-existent. Uh, they had one shot in that time frame, uh, and Mr. Billy Gilmore needs to hold up his hands for that uh, because uh, the one time they gave just half, like just a half-hearted attempt at pressure, Billy was not ready for it at all. Uh, they won the ball back in a really dangerous area, and I'm not sure, I think it was Schluck, uh, but big thank you to him or whoever it was that decided to take that tame shot right into the Bruggen. Yeah, it was uh, Because that was... Yeah. All they offered uh, for the entire game, really, uh, was winning the ball on a breakaway or two uh, and offering absolutely nothing with it, barring the goal that came from nowhere. Um, And I think for Palace, their entire day was compounded in about seven minutes in that first half. uh, And it started with Gwehi going off, don't you think? He was shocking too, I I think. Just we'll go back to the corner and just how crap it was defended, right? Just your main centre back going off of Jack Hinshelwood peeling off the back post. Like, what are you doing? So 
it wasn't at the races. Obviously, their captain as well goes off after half an hour. Like the writing's kind of on the wall. Um, you've got no Elise, no Eze. Your captain just goes off. You're having to bring on your new signing in a baptism of fire, and he didn't do too well. Um, it just it seemed from bad to worse for them, and it did. So yeah, it, yeah. And bad. then you have to fling in a new signing, right? Wharton has to come in into you know a total hell. Sort of hellstorm basically of you're a goal down already you're not playing very well your captain's had to got has gone off and you're thrown into your first taste of premier league football um and it's a kind of sink or swim moment isn't it and he proved pretty quickly that it was very much going to be a sink moment um as far as his debut was concerned because he gets he dwells you know dwells on the ball for i mean it wasn't horrendous it's it's it immediately illustrates the step up for the championship because he didn't, it wasn't like he's dwelt on the ball for ages and ages, but it shows you have no time in comparison to the championship because you have that ball pinched off you immediately. And then suddenly you've got four on three, pretty much is what it was. Um, you know, he's he's not ideal, it's not ideal from his perspective. And obviously, sandwiched in between that, I mean, it's there. As far as Wharton's concerned, I felt really sorry for him, to be honest, because. I quite liked him as a player when he was at Blackburn and thought he looked decent. And you just think that any young player like that coming into the Premier League, um, that's just not what you want, is it? It's a surprise but, that someone like that would go to Palace at all, really. But I suppose, I mean, money talks, right? Like he's earning five times more than he yeah. was earning at Blackburn, I'm sure. So yeah. at the end of the day, uh, it's similar to the reason that a certain Ecuadorian lad just smashed up his seat at Chelsea dugouts, right? Because he went to, for money and not for passion and now he's going to suffer for it. So, <laughs> uh, all right. So shortly after he was subbed off, um, the game was essentially... Uh, nailed nailed to the ground uh, and the first goal of our double salvo uh, was brought to us by another local lad uh, at the other end of his career uh, Jack Hinshelwood uh, playing at right wing back he has done this a few times venturing into the box totally unmarked uh, scored a few goals from it too uh, of course the header um, the one against Spurs as well where he just kind of ghosted through without anybody realising he was there and then again it yesterday was Bournemouth wasn't it was the first one wasn't it I think Bournemouth at yeah. home we got the winner I think wasn't it yeah yeah um, he's he's got a bit of a like a bit of a knack for this um, and he was assisted by fellow wingback Tarek Lamptey on the left hand side um, I think we had about four shots in quick succession before that goal went in uh, Pascal Gross absolutely yeeted it. Uh, then Gross smashed it as well. Uh, Gross smashed it. Pedro smashed it. And I think he had someone else hit it. And it bounced out to Lamptey. And he just kind of drifted the ball in. You know, never you never know. And the back post we seem to have quite a good good kind of record with. Um, and I think it was Bonanote going up for it. Um, and I don't know whether Hingerwood called for it last second or whether he just decided, nah, this is this is all me. Uh, but he's not he's not a big lad, but he just soared through like past both of them um, and put the ball in the opposite corner. Uh, and at 2-0, the Amex was absolutely rocking. Fair play to the Amex, by the way. It was probably the best atmosphere I've sat in in a long time. Obviously, I had eight years out, but it's been a long time uh, since I've had the Amex that rocking. Uh, and always, of course, a goal within three minutes helps, uh, especially at home to Palace. Um, but they, we didn't stop. Like The entire North Stand didn't stop for the entire game. Um, and I think in the same way you were talking about 
the, 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 the couple of thousand at Luton. I think it really just transitioned straight into the Amex crowd, right? Because I'm sure, I mean, all of them would have been there for the most most part, and it was it was there throughout. And like there was times where like the East Stand started chants. Like, how often do you see that ever? Um, Literally, Palace so, at home. It's only Palace uh, home. Yeah. Uh, the, well, the Chelsea. I'm sure the Chelsea yeah, game that a couple Potter of months. Game, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was just fantastic, uh, and. I'll, you know, I'll let you guys talk about that in a second. But just from the, in the stadium perspective, we were still watching the goal uh, on the on the big screen behind us and doing like the whole like way, like winding them up. When you heard the rest of the crowd kind of like g up, and you were like, "Oh, we've won possession back. That was quick. We're in a good spot. Oh, that's a good touch by Gross. Oh, fucking hell, we're three 0 up." <laughs> And it was just caught like I don't think anybody had a chance to take more than a breath before they went from looking at the screen of a replay to realizing that Bonanosa just absolutely powered it into the back of the net. And again, if you wanted to have two local lads and an absolute shit house at 18 score a goal all in front of the Palace fans, it was like the perfect punctuation point, wasn't it? At that game, they get they, like at that point, the game is all but over, really. Uh you never know with Brighton, but it should be all but over. Um, and once again, Pascal Gross, the assist again oh, just, uh, from Pascal Gross. But uh, two goals in, what, 118 seconds or something like that. Just, you know, from both of your perspectives, Robin, I don't even think you were listening to it at that point. No, it's somewhere a, else. But so just I've walked, walk, me through, walk me through how it felt to look at that. And, and Craig, from the TV perspective, let me know what it looked like on the TV because it must have been crazy. I mean, I didn't say I didn't watch the game live, um, as we've referenced. I took my kids to the cinema, um, which I, I did say on our chat yesterday. My the the card that was played at home was well, you went to you went off to Marseille and Amsterdam for a few days, so it was a very slick move. I couldn't really argue with it, to be honest. It was slipped in quite nicely. Um, so I I had the benefit of I did I have watched a full ninety minute replay, but I obviously watched it with the benefit of knowing exactly what was going to happen which is obviously the best type of replay, the best type of match replay to watch. But um, yeah, the the third goal, I mean, just quickly on the second goal, I mean, it's no coincidence that when we have some genuine pace again on the wing, we cause teams absolute, you know, there's absolute carnage. It's no coincidence that Lamptey is in full flight and both of those first two goals come from basically Jao Pedro drifting inside, creating a one-on-one for Lamptey against I think it was their new guy at right back, wasn't it? Um and you know, so that's that's the one thing is actually it shows you that the really obvious thing that we have been missing pace out wide. And as soon as we get it back, whether it's Matoma, whether it's Lamptey, whether it's a Dingra, whenever someone's come back, it's caused carnage. So that was nice. But yeah, the third goal, as we've referenced, Wharton loses the ball, just you know, Dally's on it slightly too long. And suddenly we're in. But, you know, Pascal Gross, the little feint that, you know, he sent Anderson for milk. It's just like, it's the only other time I've genuinely seen that in the Premier League era was probably that first season, Man United at home, where Knockart sent down the wing. I don't know who it was, the Man United player who sent him to Eastbourne, basically. Um, uh, Rojo. I remember yeah, that right, very well. That's like, how much I remember it, because I could tell you immediately who it was, because that yeah. was just unreal. Just that was a similar thing, but like, I mean, Anderson's dived in. I mean, but still, he's just sent him, you know, it's just sent him to the shops, like, see you later. Thanks for coming. Um, and it's just such a deaf little layoff as well. 
in one kind of motion. Um, and it's just perfect because if you watch it from Bonanotte, I don't know whether he's anticipated it or whether it just happens that he's there in the right position, but his body shape, he's just perfect. I mean, it's just everything is perfect for him to be running onto the ball like that. Um, you know, and we've seen that finish. It's a very similar finish to the Chelsea goal he scored at Stamford Bridge. We know that that's, that seems to be his favoured, you know, his favoured sort of method of dispatch, as it were. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just, it's majestic. It's one of those goals where, you, you know, any in any game, you're, you know, you're thinking, we'll have that. That's lovely. But just to basically have it at the Palace end, you know, about 30 seconds after they've last conceded a goal um, is just, you know, it's a nightmare for them, isn't it? I mean, I have watched one of the vlogs from one of the Palace fans that I posted in the chat, um, in our chat. And if you watch that, they're all still arguing amongst themselves about the second goal <laughs> when the third goal goes in. It's the polar opposite. You know, all of you, at the, you know, you're still watching the screen at the other end, sort of still celebrating the second goal. They're all fighting amongst themselves still about the second goal at the other end. So it's just, it's a great goal. I mean, Pascal Gross is just, I said that, yes, in our chat. And actually someone else said it on, a non-Brighton fan said it on Twitter last night that he is potentially the best bargain signing in Premier League history. Like, we're getting towards that stage. I think it, he's still, it's only De Bruyne that has created more chances in the Premier League since Pascal Gross joined the division. That so is correct, yeah. We're now legitimately in, like, he is right up there with bargain Premier League signings. And you consider he's basically played in every position apart from in goal. Like, it's just... All that yesterday lacked was Pascal Gross getting on the score sheet. That's all that would have, like, that would have been the cherry on the top. But majestic. I mean, just majestic. Despite how pessimistic I am, the absolute homer in me captained Gross yesterday. So, yes, a goal with him would have been incredible. He already got me. He already got me 22 points, but a goal would have been absolutely nuts. Craig, from the state's perspective, uh, like, were they still showing replays? Like, did they, yeah. get, they did they even get to the goal in time? Like, what was it like from like a broadcast perspective? So I was I was at AJ's watching it, so I wasn't just like huddled over my TV at home. But like, yeah, you're you're spot on. It's just they're still they're still showing it. They're doing the old way way every time the ball hits the net on the replays, um, and then they quickly cut and Gross already has the ball. So like on on the first sort of live play, um, we're already at the the edge of their penalty area, and Gross sells uh, was it Anderson for a hot dog and and puts one and Otte through you you just get that bit because it's just so quick and and you didn't even see us re like regain possession or anything like that. next thing you know just the live feed cut straight to another goal um it's wild and I think it's just such a sucker punch and yeah ended the game um but unreal and I think we were speaking before this too right is just you could not place those goals in a better position as a fan watching it it, from from that perspective like you get that first goal two minutes in you get a quick two goals in 60 seconds like five minutes before the half and um, you couldn't plan them in a better array uh so and it's just so good the finish is great i think hinshelwood has this knack again just i don't know what it is about that header from the right to the left just being able to hit that that side netting is a skill in amongst itself um and just Pascal Gross doing Pascal Gross things and Buonanotte is really starting to come into it now. I, I think you would, they had some, 
I guess some choice words maybe for for his progress over the last couple of months, but the last few games he's he's really come into it. Um, so good, you know, you've got what two two teenagers and and your captain um, scoring, you know, at the Palace end as well is just stellar. Like you couldn't write it, could you? So uh, and that was it, right? It just it did get even worse for them. But like at that point, you, you're like, OK, let's just we'll see this home and at 3-0 up. A small part of my little bright mind goes, we could still mess this up, you know. Um, but it Probably. really felt like it was sort of done and dusted. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, Spurs, right? Like 4-0 up, 4-2, yeah. like the worry there. Like, it's always think, like, in the back of my mind. Yeah, it really is. So because I had the benefit of watching the full game, knowing what had happened, I'd already had a really good read of the Palace Forum as well, which was just, if anyone hasn't, I generally don't go and read other clubs' forums, but like after this, I just thought, this is like a proper, let's go and buy a vat of popcorn and just sit and watch this. Because there are so many like brilliantly prophetic comments on there from half-time going, the only thing that could make today worse is if he brings Elise on and gets injured. Like, they all called it. I mean, everyone in the ground would have called it as well. But when you look at it through that lens, you go, it's already done at halftime. The only thing that could have been worse is bringing Elise on, who then gets injured. I mean, like like you referenced, Craig, it gets worse for them. But that is, I'm struggling to think of a worse managerial decision, like a worse substitution in a game, right? Like, what are the chances of him on his own dragging that game back to 3 all? Like I could more understand is if if they got like one or two goals back, right? And there's 25 minutes to go. You think, okay, like maybe there's something in this, right? But not 45 minutes to go. You're three nil down. You're already def- defending. You know, it's non-existent. Nothing's happening. Like that is. I think it illustrates because the big thing is like they've said, oh, Eze and Elise have been out injured, you know, collectively for so long. But what seems to have happened every time is that Roy Hodgson rushes them back from injury. That's the pattern. Like, they don't win any games. Suddenly, everything's not looking so rosy for them. And Roy Hodgson just goes, right, I'm going to have to play them. Like, I don't know whether that says more about how badly Palace have invested or not invested in their squad. Or how out of touch Roy Hodgson is these days as a manager in terms of needing to rest players, etc., etc., but either way, it's a dreadful decision, like on every level. For once, I am going to come in and defend Roy a little bit. And I'll tell you why, because after the game, I listened to his interview on the drive home and he just sounded just utterly exhausted by the whole situation. And he, he essentially said that they he spoke to his medical staff on Friday and they said that he would be all right to be on the bench and he spoke to them before the game and then confirmed to them again at halftime that he, Alise said the whole time, he's great. He wants to play. Obviously you're a footballer. They all do. Right. Like even like when we were playing like Sunday league, like even if you were like hurt, you wanted to play like let alone at that level, like they all want to play all the time. Right. Like, and for like these, these guys, like these sports scientists, these data analysts, like all of these guys, like they're the ones that are making this decision, not Roy, like to put him on the bench and to make him available and to consider him available. And these guys have got, you know, they've got like probably injury history and nutrition history and dietitian history and training history for the last like 
what, like eight years of Elise's career? Like, I'm not even sure if he's been even playing that long, but like, they've got everything since he came to Palace at a level that is just, you know, like the analytical level of like a Premier League football team, right? Like, I know we like to dunk on Palace, but like, I'm sure that their technical ability in terms of that sports science analysis is the same as every other Premier League club, right? And like, just monumentally impressive. And these these scientists have watched him every day. They've got all the data off of his uh, sports bra. They've got all of his information off of his GPS stuff. They've got all of his info on it, on the food he's consumed and the energy he's burnt and all this crazy shit that you don't even think about. And they've told Roy he's good for that second half. They've told him that. Now, Roy is an old man that is not... You know, Deserby is half his age almost, and Deserby is not equipped to know whether a player is truly capable of playing or not. Roy definitely ain't. Like, so at the end of the day, Roy can only go off of what he was told by legitimate experts that are employed within yeah, yeah. that club. So for me, similar to the questions that are being asked around the Albion as to how we're getting so many bloody injuries, it's like what's going on in the physio room. I would say on that side, like, what what analytics are you using? Because this is a pattern now, as you say. Elise and Easy like, are barely ever in the same team because neither can stay fit. Lerma can never stay fit. Decore's out. Like these are top players, and yeah, they're all agree. they're all being rushed back too quickly. We did it once, right, with Est opinion, and we all saw what happened there. But it's not happened again. No. That and, and we and we ask that question about the physios all the time. Like, why yeah. is everybody bloody hurt? But like this seems to be a pattern for them. Haha, <laughs> funny, but like at the same time, like I, that's the one thing I wouldn't blame on Roy from yesterday. Everything else, pathetic, like just an awful manager. I hope he stays for three more years. But like for that bit, I, j- I felt a little bit sorry for him, really, because it, he was he was effed. Like you either you either bring him on because you trust your staff and hope that he really is enough to score a goal and liven them up. We saw what happened when they scored a goal. It actually bothered to wake us up for the second half. But for him, he's trying to win a game. And let's not forget, he's absolutely on the hot seat, by the way. Like, he's absolutely under pressure there. Like, he knows Potter is sat in the stands watching him play his games. Like, it couldn't be more unprofessional that, like, they've already got their probable successor rocking up at games. Like, he's absolutely under pressure. So I just felt a bit bad for him. That's the only time you'll ever hear no, me. No, I, I agree with your Paris, point. But, um, I just think, I agree with them. Like, if, you, if you're told, like, you've got an entire department whose job it is to determine whether someone's fit or not, essentially. And obviously, you ask the player, like you said, they're always going to say, yeah. My only, my only counter to it would be, given how, given his recent injury record, right, and how often he's been injured, and you look at the chance, if you bring him on, right? Let's say you bring him on and he's totally fit. He lasts for 45 minutes, et cetera, et cetera. You go, what are the chances of him genuinely turning that game around? Like, you look at how many teams come back from 3-0 down generally, right? I don't, I don't have anything like stats for it, but I'd imagine it's not many as a percentage of times it happens. And you add that onto the fact that he would basically be Palace's only hope. This is not like you bring Elise on and you've got a few other dangerous outlets, right? Like, I totally agree with you. That's not, I'm sort of not hanging Roy Hodgson out for the fact that he's then come on and got injured. I'm sort of hanging him out for the fact that the chance of it making a difference. You basically go, that game's gone, right? That game is gone. You've got to look at, they're, they're breathing down their, you know, they've got teams breathing down their necks now. He's got to be going, 
the decision he's making in his head is like, is it better to basically swallow your medicine with this game and go, yeah, it's a derby. Yeah, we, you know, it's gone about as wrong as it's possible to go. But do you swallow your medicine and go, right, this one's a write-off. It's more important that Elise is fit to start our next two or three games. That's where I think he's made a poor decision. And I think you're right, Josh, he's made it in his own self-interest because he goes, I'm already under pressure here. If we get battered 5-0 and Elise sits on the bench for the second half, like that's that's even more of a poor situation than the one he's in now. So I get that he's totally in, he's in a difficult spot, but I just thought on the balance of everything, it's a poor decision to bring him on. Like if you're 1-0 down, sure, you know, he's still in the game, you go, it's worth a gamble. But 3-0 down, being just battered, it's just, for me, it's a poor decision. It's somewhere in between for me, right? Is that if Elise is fit, he is not on the bench for Palace. So when it comes to that and you're like, okay, Elise isn't fit for a full 90, which means that he's not at full fitness, you're 3-0 down and you bring him on anyway, knowing full well he can only do 45 minutes max. Otherwise, he would have started the damn game. So it's such a weird decision. And it, I think, Robin, you're alluding to it anyway. It's a lose-lose situation regardless, right? If you don't play him, you get reprimanded for not playing him. If you put him on and he gets injured, you get reprimanded for that because it's your fault, right? So Hodgson's in a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um hindsight's a wonderful thing if Elise comes on creates a couple of chances makes it 3-2 then you know there's some worthwhile in that but it was just silly if he's not fit or if he's not ready to play 90 like what are you doing um uh, especially with Josh you said with their injuries anyway right why even go for a fourth or a fifth injury right you know that he's not full like fully fit like I said because he would have started so what I, I just I can't understand the process behind it. I love it, by the way, just for the record. This is a, a Brian podcast. I think it's absolutely hilarious that a decision like that has been made. But if that's your team and you've got a half fit, one of your best players is half fit, you're 3-0 down and you go, yeah, go on. Like, try and try and win the game for us when it's already probably gone. Silly. And, you know, I, I'm all happy for it because he's probably their best player. So having him injured even more and with Luton getting points as they go, they're in trouble. Yeah, they are in trouble. But I'm with Craig. Um, I mean, like, it's, it's, it's just, it is just, it's, it's just so funny when you stack up the number of things that went wrong for them yesterday, right? Like, if they were to sit, they got Palace fans sitting there with their breakfast yesterday morning, right? Writing <laughs> a list of, like, things that could possibly go wrong in the game. Um, and we'll get to a few more. We haven't even, I mean, we've been talking for ages about this. We haven't even got to, like, the really good bits of it yet like we're still not even all the way through and we're already got a pretty big list of like things that have gone wrong and you know it's also brilliant because it's generally stuff it's generally what happens to us like it would be more enjoyable it would be enjoyable anyway if we were coming at this from like a neutral position of you know whatever but this is generally stuff where we've been on the end of it um not necessarily against palace um but you know in general this is the kind of stuff that happens to us yeah. I mean, so we're already at Jao Pedro being fit and Eze being injured, then conceding a comedy early own goal scored by Lewis Dunk, which is like, couldn't be any worse. Best centre-back going off injured. A second local lad scores. By the way, his grandfather, for a certain generation of Palace fans, that his grandfather was their favourite ever Palace player. Like, <laughs> this is like, that. Like you've already got that. 
Um, we haven't even got to half an hour in the game yet. And you've already got like half a dozen things that couldn't possibly have gone any more wrong. And then you've got their new signing coming on and making a complete mess of it immediately leading to another goal. And then Elise coming on and getting injured in eight minutes. That's about 10 things and we're at 55 minutes in the game. Yeah, and a bit of a meltdown ensued from there because both Franca and Munoz got booked. Uh, just a little bit of just petty, cynical challenges. It was just, dude, their, their heads had gone already. Um, Elise went storming down the tunnel, which should really be a renaissance painting because it was just wonderful to see it. Um, and we made a couple of, that's at that point we started making a couple of subs. And frankly, this was really the only low point of the game, really. We, we weren't particularly at it in the second half for a lot of it. We, we slowed down. We, we played like a team that was 3 0 up, frankly, uh, kept the ball very confident on it, made a couple of nice opportunities, but never really looked like the same kind of disgusting level of razor sharp passing that we were throwing around in the first half. Um, and we were punished, as is Albion tradition, right, with the fact that we just don't keep clean sheets uh, for the most part. Um, and unfortunately, it was Lewis Dunk giveth and taketh away uh, because he was pretty much really at fault for that goal. Uh, he was caught way all out of sorts. Uh, and it just allowed Mateta to power in a header. The um, heck of a header. It's a great it was head. a header. The power he got on it was absolutely nuts. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, that's really the only good thing you can get from from a Palace perspective uh, because the lad that assisted it, Anderson, ended up fighting with you at the end of the game. So there's not even a joyous moment there. Um, but at that point, it seemed like it woke us up a little bit and was like, no, like, not again. Like, we're not having a Spurs moment. We're not having a meltdown at all. Like, let's, all right, let's do it. And from then on, it felt like we really turned it back on a little bit and the legginess in the midfield went away uh, when we shortly brought on Belaber for Buonanotte and Estepinion for Lamptey, two excellent substitutions. And Belaber, he's just so full of it. Like when he comes on, the energy he brings, like it's palpable. Like you can see it, like the entire team are brought back up to standard because he, the press he throws out there is absolutely nuts. And the, the willingness to run a players is, is really what caused all the problems there for that last 15 minutes. Um, and shortly after that, Danny Welbeck uh, and Joe Pedro link up um, for quite comfortably the best goal of the three, I think. Uh, Craig, from a TV perspective, um, just because you saw it from kind of the top down, what was, what was it like for you guys when you were watching it at the pub? Oh, it's so good. I just uh, the it's the the best goal of the day, right? And just being able to do that on eighty four minutes, like again, the the Jao Pedro stuff. Will he start? Will he not start? Can he do ninety? Like, is he is he ready? Is he fit? Um, and then he does something like that with Welbeck, which is just unreal. And and it shows you the level that Welbeck brings to it as well. I just think the the assist is out of this world. It's it's enough to finish it, but. Um, just to see it and and actually execute it is unreal, and that's that's Danny Welbeck, right? And I I do hope that he signs again at the end of the season because he he brings that experience and and he just has the ability. Uh, so unbelievable goal! They showed it about eight times, um, and and rightly so. Um, just a, an unbelievable goal, and yeah, an even better celebration from Jao Pedro as well, uh, who who whips out the the cutthroat. Um, but. Stella and and just really just the icing on the cake. I'm sure Josh, you can attest to that in in the stadium as well. But just sends everyone home happy, doesn't it? The weird thing for me is like the whole game is basically a mirror image of that Potter Chelsea four one game, right? 
like both of those games, we've blown them away 3-0 at half time. Both of those games have come out in the second half not looking that great. Both of those games we then concede a goal. And for about five minutes, everyone goes, Oh, not again. Like you get this, like you get this sinking feeling. And then in both of those games, in the Chelsea game, it's gross. And in this game, it's Pedro who just come on, score another goal to make it 4-1 and have very similar celebrations because Pascal Grosses was very similar with his done type thing. Like, it's unbelievable how the mirror image of it is. It's uncanny. Yeah, you're right. I didn't thought about that. It's ridiculous. Like you say, the fact that they do that on 84 minutes, I mean, obviously, Welbeck's not been on the pitch for the whole game. So, you know, he's got the benefit of having that. But for Pedro to be able to you know, knock that ball in to Welbeck, obviously the flick, and then for him to still have the ability to accelerate into the box. Um, I, When I was watching it, obviously I knew I knew that it was going to be a goal, but I always, <laughs> even watching it going, it's going to be a goal, I still thought he's running, like he's, he's out of control. You know, he's almost running too fast. I was like, there's no way he can actually control this ball. Um, but, you know, he does. Um, and I don't know, Craig, you might have missed it um, if, if you get match of the day over there. Um, if you manage mm, to find no. match of the day, they don't show his celebration properly on match of the day, but it's the end credits of match of the day. Oh, That's I saw the end credits. Yeah. How yeah, they I... the, which is just like, it's, that's just, it's the icing on the cake and it's such a good goal. Like it's just, I mean, deserve interesting. Deserby said that we, in the second half, we basically, as you said, Josh, he said we were very comfortable on the ball but basically we stopped attacking spaces. And he said, as soon as we started attacking spaces again, we scored again. So it's almost like... Yeah, it literally is exactly what happened. Simple as that. Yeah, it was it was incredible. Like in the stadium, I think there was... It all happened so quick, but like the pass was played to Welbeck and you thought, oh, like there could be something on here. The back heel came and you were just like, there was a little bit of like, a, oh, like it's a little bit too far. And then you're like, huh? Like, because he's like, Jesus, he is going, like, he's turned up a gear here. But I think most people like you, Roman, was like, I don't really know what's going to happen here because he just, he's like a rocket ship at 85 minutes and he's not supposed to be fully fit. Like, what's he going to do here? And like, he, the, he absolutely just pounds it into the back of the net. Like, I've not seen him hit the ball that cleanly in a while well, since the Marseille game, probably. Um, and he, it was just an unbelievable strike. And he did, he came right, like he was right here, like doing the absolute obnoxious celebration in front of us. Um, and everybody was just loving life. Like it was just insane. Um, and yeah, it was one of the coldest celebrations I've seen in a long time. Like did it twice as well, just in case people didn't notice the first time he's like, nah, nah, like this is it. Like here's the fourth, we're done. You're dead. Um, and yeah, it was, that was it then. Like, then you knew the game was over. And I said to Craig, like, there was quite a lot of people, uh, quite a lot of the best fans in the world leave after 30 minutes, um, which was a surprise, uh, given that they are the greatest fans on earth. Um, they gave up pretty quickly, but my favorite part is that once that, the, that goal came in from Mateta, a lot state like a lot of people who looked like they were angling to leave, you know, like walk into the to the row and like you know just yeah. Like, it looked like they were kind of angling to leave, and the goal goes in, and they all take their seats again. You can watch it in real time, like they all take yeah. their seats, like fucking comebacks on boys. And yeah, by the time, I don't want to miss this one. I don't want to be yeah. like, wandered out. Yeah, exactly. And by the time Pedro scores, the cops have closed it off. 
That's so brilliant. you saw you saw that like it was open up for people to leave at 72 minutes, but sometime between 72 and 84, the cops had you know shut them up because they've yeah, got yeah. to stay in, right? Like we like we all know they get held back for a little bit. And uh and the reason I know that happened is because I watch people stream out and then slowly stream back in like defeated like they'd obviously tried to leave and couldn't get out and then i heard from people like you see on social media and stuff people confirming that they would essentially not got out in time so then they had to watch the last eight nine minutes of just like carnage in the stadium and us just absolutely ripping the piss out of them um and then of course just to add on to that the the, the beautiful thing in and of itself is the return of ansu fatty on 88 minutes right like it's a player that we were just in dreamland signing uh all those months ago and the injury at forest was just came at awful timing because it seemed like he was really starting to pick up um and to have him come back against palace just for a little couple of minutes just to you know but he looked sharp he looked very able uh unlike at least say um and it just it really like it's silly to think that like we beat we battered palace 4-1 but like Ansu Fatty coming on was genuinely like that cherry on top. Right? Oh, it's, like, a, it's, just it's, a proper, it's a proper shithouse move as well, isn't it? Because it's like, we've just battered you at home, it's 4-1, and we're casually bringing on a Barcelona player with a billion-pound release clause. Like, we don't even need him. Like, this is just to roll him out. It's just been to do a lap of honour. Like, it's just like, it's... Because there's no point. I mean, like, he's not really going to get that much benefit from coming on, you know, for two minutes, right? Like it's it's lit it's just to make a point, and it's I'm here for it. It's just you know it's, and you know we talked about the meltdown, and we joked in our group our WhatsApp group about the meltdown that could have happened if yesterday had gone the other way, right? And I'm sure lots of people listening in your own WhatsApp groups or your own Twitter feeds, I'm sure a lot of Albion fans would have been making the same slightly gallows humor remarks right because like let's be honest yesterday could have gone like in another universe yesterday goes horrifically right like i think we can all agree it's, there's not that much that needs to change for that to happen so everyone's gone right the meltdown that could have happened if we'd have lost i'll be honest the meltdown that has happened amongst palace fans is off the charts compared to even what i thought the melt like our meltdown would have been like i know i talked about going on their forum like there are a couple of quotes that are just there is one from this guy. I'm not going to read the whole quote, but it was like, this is right. So this is when the third goal goes in, right? And this guy goes, my child self would never believe I could stop watching a Palace versus Brighton game, but I'm not watching this shit any longer. What is being allowed to happen on the pitch is not Crystal Palace. I've never had such little heart and spirit. Even when we were bottom of Division One, I feel like I've lost my club. That's after 33 minutes. Well, the club's only been around 13 years because they went to happen, didn't it? So it's not that long. Um, but I mean, yeah, it, it's it's another level, right? And I think it kind of it can put into perspective a lot of things. Like after Tuesday, you're kind of feeling very downbeat. There's a lot of uh it's wariness around the Zerbi's comments as well, and and just being absolutely hammered, rightly so, by Luton on Tuesday. Um and just a nice little rival win where we've just embarrassed them and, and they're having their own troubles of their own. Like it just puts it into perspective for me, at least of like, okay, 
we're a very good team and we've got a lot of good players coming back. Ansu Fati Matoma is going to be back next week. Adingra is going to be back in a couple of weeks. Um, and CISO is, you know, watching from the stands as well. Like there's, there's a lot of good things that are about to happen. As long as we can continue some form of results and just keep up with the pack right now and wait for those players to come back and be reintroduced, we're still in a good spot. And for me, obviously, the centre midfield thing is always going to be there. It's now going to be there until July, right? So uh, we'll just have the sort of, I guess, not suck it up, but sort of deal with it and, and understand what we can and can't do with that. Um, but Labour looked really good when he came on. Obviously, there's no pressure whatsoever. So he can just go and burst through the midfield like he wants to um, and just play without that fear. I think that's what he needs. Um, and just we'll see. I think it, it's funny how a week can be so down and so up. Right. Uh, and and that's sort of that's where the perspective comes in. Um, but a good result against uh, an opponent that just wasn't there and our rivals. It's fantastic. They're having an absolute meltdown like Robin alluded to. So that's even better to watch. Um, and we'll see. But, you know, what are we set eight at the moment sitting there Um, 35 points, still got half a season to play, more people to come back. You kind of feel a little bit more optimistic after that. And yeah, you I think the best if you had to is, take three out of six, you're picking that three out oh, of yeah, six. Oh, yeah, 100%. Then, <laughs> the best bit about this is that the penny finally seems to have dropped with a lot of Palace fans that the two clubs are miles apart now. Right? Like when we were kind of drawing, you know, there were lots of games early as the Premier League, it was kind of like they very much felt that we were these kind of imposters, right? Who'd kind of recently come to the Premier League, had a little, had a few good results and had kind of scraped survival and they weren't really willing to accept that virtually every aspect of our club compared to theirs has gone in wholly different directions right whether it's investment in infrastructure whether it's in having a strategy in terms of transfers whether it's having a distinct playing style on the pitch you know wherever you want to focus it right like I and I wouldn't even, it's not just because it's Palace that I'm saying this. Like, if, if you compare it to, if we didn't have a rivalry with Palace and we were just making the comparison between the two clubs, I'd be saying exactly the same thing. Like, they are now beginning to accept that, you know, it's, they're worlds apart. I mean, the final quote from the forum was this, this guy that said, um, it's brilliant as well because it's so down in the mouth. This is the final one I read, I promise. But it's like, I will, please go and read their forum because it's amazing. This guy said, I'm sick to death of this era of Palace. It's made me feel so little for something which used to bring me energy, joy, agony, excitement. I just feel nothing. The fact this rivalry just feels so stale is because the clubs are now worlds apart. Which is, it's A, beautiful to read, and it's B, true. Like, we've now reached this point where, you know, it's it's still always going to be this kind of pantomime rivalry, etc., but this is not this is not two clubs on an even playing field competing against each other at the moment. No, I mean they may not. come back, right? Like if Palace, I mean we have, step, right? Yeah, we have. I mean I'm not not saying suddenly you know we're going to be into the stratosphere of world football and they're going to be in League Two, but currently you cannot make an argument for them being in the same ballpark that we are. And you know they may get sold to you know a super rich American consortium or you know someone from the Middle East, and you know they may come back, but. At the moment, you know, watching from the outside, they are crumbling because their stadium is literally crumbling. Um, the fans and the players are fighting at the end of games. 
the fans in the stands are fighting themselves during games. Banners are coming out against the owner during games, particularly a derby game like that. I mean, there were certain, there were just so many shots of Steve Parrish and Mark Bright again sitting next door to each other, just looking like they're sucking lemons watching this banner being unfurled. Um, you know, they are in a world of trouble. And you add to that the fact that they're not safe from relegation and their two best players are injured. Like, they're in big trouble. Yeah, they are. And you love to see it. Um, I know we're coming close to wrapping, but obviously we need to get to the man of the match as well. But I, I just wanted to touch on a couple of stats from players that we probably won't be selecting as man of the match because it's really worth noting as pretty much everybody on that pitch had a great performance yesterday. Um, we'll start with Van Heck. Uh, 164 touches of the pool yesterday. Uh, that's more than anyone else, including Lewis Dunk, who's usually the guy. Um, his pass percentage was 96.2% pass accuracy. But most importantly, 12 long balls attempted. That was more than anybody else by a mile. Next one closest behind him was Lewis Dunk on seven. And 12 accurate long balls. Like that, just absolute pinpoint. Like you may as well just play quarterback at this point, get him to the Pro Bowl. Like absolutely nuts. Like, and two of those created major opportunities, including the one in you know, like, our first 120 seconds. Like he was immense yesterday. Uh, big shout out for Bart Verbruggen as well. He commanded his box incredibly well. Uh, again, perfect, one hundred percent pass percentage. Uh, six long balls attempted, six successful. A couple of them caused major issues immediately because he got a couple of long balls over. Proper steel esque. Uh, I thought they were. They looked. Re- he looked really good yesterday. Uh, Igor as well. Uh, I've never seen a centre half play for Brighton at least that neutralizes a physical attacker as much as Igor does, probably because he is built like the Terminator. But it was so funny yesterday watching Ayu go up against him because he just had nothing. And there was twice, right in the first half when they were coming at us, there was twice that they went on the break and Ayu intended to barge past Igor and he literally fell on the floor two for two like because he bounced off of Igor and landed on the floor. Like he just... We've always talked about Dunk and his kryptonite being like a Calvert-Lewin, uh, Mitrovic, like a big, strong, dangerous striker. And Ayu at times fills that role. And he just he just looked like a child yesterday next to Eagle, and I thought he did really well. Um, but man of the match, uh, Craig, we'll start with you. Who are you selecting as your man of the match for the game yesterday? I don't know if it's low-hanging fruit, but I think... Pascal Gross with two assists and just the uh, just the engine of everything that comes from us in attacking sense. And you very easily give it to somebody else, but just things run through him and he makes things happen. He's almost the clutch. He's just bona fide at this point. Um, yeah, low-hanging fruit maybe, but it, Pascal Gross with another performance against a Palace team he knows that we hate. Um, I'm sure it meant a lot to him as well. So yeah, Pascal Gross for me, uh, quite easy. Robin, how about yourself? I'm going to go quite controversial um, and I'm going to go Tarek Lamptey. Partly because I know we've waxed lyrical about Gross's touch for the Bonanotto goal, but those those first two goals that essentially killed the game off, for me, they don't happen without Tarek Lamptey. So that's why I'm going, I'm going Tarek Lamptey. I am going to, just because 
I want to be obnoxious as well. I'm going to go with Chad Pedro just to go outside and you two. Um, and it was because every single time we went on the attack and looked dangerous, especially in that first half, well, on both halves, I think, Craig, you touched on it. It all goes to Jao Pedro. Every single one of those goals, almost, to a man, like is influenced by Jao Pedro somewhere. Right, He scored the first one. One of the, like, the shot he took ricochets to Lamptey for the assist. The shot he, like, the pressure he put on at the start got him the goal for the third. Like, he, it all comes from Jao Pedro. And for him to not even be fully fit or, like, not quite, you know, a risk, and for him to do the performance he put in, like, it's just nuts. And he's 21 years old. Like, I can see now why Watford captained him, like, made him their captain last year. Um, and clearly Deserby can too, because we all remember early in the year where he said he doesn't work hard enough. Like, he likes him, but he needs more. And when there was a talk this week before the game, like, and we had that press conference about Joe Pedro's injury, like, he said he needs him to be fit because he needs to play every game. Like, even now, like, Deserby's there. Like, he knows how important he is. Um, and I thought he was fantastic yesterday as well. Uh, Gross was on my list. Lamptey was on my list. And the only reason I didn't select the other one is because he was the sponsor's man of the match, rightfully as well in some cases. And that was, it was dunk. Um, so I, it just, it speaks volumes really. I think for the game yesterday that we've got dunk as sponsor's man of the match and no one raised an eyebrow. We've no. got Pedro, we've got Gross and we've got Lamptey on the podcast and no one's really they're even inclined to superly disagree. No, uh, I think Dunk so I had think 100%. Really just says everything we need. Didn't he have like a 98, 99 or 100% pass completion rate or something from like 100 and something passes? It's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was insane. I mean, yeah, 98%. 98% pass rate. Right. Um, I mean, I say, I know, obviously I went for Lamptey, but actually it's more a combination of Lamptey and Jao Pedro. Because actually the space that Lamptey has for those one-on-ones is created by Jao Pedro just never stopping yeah. in terms of his attacking movement. It's just um, all of it. It was just superb yesterday. Everyone. Really I mean, it's gone about, I'd say, it went about as well for us as could possibly go and it went about as badly for them as it could possibly go. And, you know, ultimately, um, that's all you ever want from these Palace games. And it so rarely happens. Yep, agreed. Um, all right, next up, Spurs away. Uh, so... We will be back next week for that one. Um, we get so a nice will Karen Matoma. break. Uh, so will Karen Matoma. Adingra will not. What's he thinking? Scoring a goal for his team, for his nation. I, I mean, if they through. go out Selfish. The so the semifinals are on Wednesday. They get knocked out in the semifinals. Uh, he's probably not rushing back. but No, he's, uh, if he gets knocked out for the semifinals, he's definitely back for Sheffield United. If he yeah, wins yeah. if he wins the tournament or goes to the final, I think it's 50-50. I'm not sure if yeah. Deserby won. Matoma will definitely... Matoma will be back, um, yeah. which will be great. I don't think Enciso is a million miles away. Either looking at the training videos, he looks like he's in pretty much full training. So yeah. you'd imagine he may sneak onto the bench for Spurs. If not, you'd imagine he'd be on the bench for Sheffield United. So it's yep. all looking very good with Ansi Fati coming back. Um, I don't want to dwell too much on the central midfield thing. I know that we've we've kind of done it to death in various different formats. Um, yeah. I think the conclusion is it would have been nice to get somebody in there. And I think the club did try, but we didn't. We move on, we regroup. Um, and, you know, if we can keep everybody fit, then potentially we've got some very exciting months to end the season coming up. 
We might even see Barco on the bench this weekend as well, because he'll be back in a very well back. Oh, yeah, or he will be in England for the first time. Yeah. So. so we'll have to see. Yeah. But um, Spurs away, you just never know. You know, never quite know what you're going to get with them. Similar to yeah. us in a lot of ways. I know they drew they drew at Everton yesterday, didn't they? Um, they yeah. looked really good in patches. Richarlison did his normal thing where, you know, he scores two goals, but actually, you know, he could have had... Similar to that game at the Amex, you know, could end up, he could score five, he could score none, you know, and both are quite as likely as each other. So, yeah. But the pressure. So, we'll be back next week. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And so, we will be back next week to cover the Spurs game. Um, So, just enjoy your week, guys. You don't get, we don't get these results often. The mandated 1 1 era is over. Like, we are so back. So, have a good week, everybody. I'm sure we all will have a very nice one. Um, And we'll be back for Spurs uh, next weekend, where hopefully we can just keep the momentum going.